everybody, it's Pastor Nate from Lydia House. Welcome to church. If you are watching this Sunday morning, then welcome. And thank you for being patient with us as we try to figure out this whole how to do church while not being near each other thing. If you're watching this at a later time, then uh, you're equally welcome to be here and uh, good to have you. Um, and we do appreciate your patience. You know, we're a couple of weeks into this in defined period of time where we will be not able to get together and have prayer meetings and Bible studies and church services and all the wonderful things that we're used to doing and have had the privilege of doing for most of our lives for most of us. And it's difficult to know how to do this well, right? I don't know, I've been talking on the phone more <laughs> than I usually do. Uh, I typically use my phone to text and check email and do that sort of thing. And I've actually been using it as a phone occasionally now. And hopefully you guys are figuring it out as well. Uh, I know that it's difficult though for a lot of us. A lot of us are in really unknown waters where we don't know what's coming next. And we don't know what's gonna happen in the future and how long this is all gonna last. Are we going to get sick? Are, is our family going to get sick? Do we still have a job? It, it, does our boss even still have that company? Is it going to go under? What, what is going on? Uh, when are we going to work again? How long does unemployment last? There's just so many questions these days and so many concerns. And so I wanted to start this week with um, praying through some of that stuff because I know that it's difficult and, you know, a lot of people don't have a lot of answers. And the unknown, to me, the unknown is one of the hardest things to deal with. And that's part of the reason why faith is blind, is you have to take a step and sometimes you don't know where that step is gonna take you. And you don't know where you're going, you can't see in front of you. And I think of Abraham in the Old Testament, you know, God said, you need to get up, you need to move and go to the land that I will later on show you. For now, get up and go that way. And then he did it. And that takes great faith. And a lot of us are being called to do something like that these days. Hey, uh, I need you to stay home and not work, or I need you to change your work, or I need you to do this or do that, or start homeschooling your kids, um, whatever it is. And we'll figure out later how long this has to be and what comes next and all that stuff. And so I encourage you to hold tight to your faith in this time. Try not to get caught up in the the blame game or the politics or the why isn't somebody doing something about this better that's that's an easy slope to go down when you're already upset um, be careful with the media uh, and that sort of thing in these days that tends to fuel things like fear um, and that's not helpful when we're trying to walk by faith and live in peace which is where I want to start talking about today um, this is Palm Sunday 
by the way. I don't know when you're watching this, but right now it's Palms today. And this is a time when the Prince of Peace enters into Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of peace. And so Palm Sunday is, is meant to be a special celebratory, worshipful, peaceful, praiseful time. And you know, it's almost ironic because in our culture right now, it feels very much the opposite of that. Um, Palm Sunday is almost the antithesis of what's happening right now. But I don't know about you, but I could use a little Palm Sunday in my life. One nice thing about preaching from home is I can have real mugs, ones with Baby Yoda. So I want to talk a little bit about peace and about Palm Sunday this morning. Uh, grab your Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 6 through 11, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Now, those of you who are regulars and have been at Liddy House for a while, you've heard this passage 100 million times because this is one of my life verses, life passages. I think that not only did God personally speak to me using this verse when I was very young, it's the first time I actually ever remember God giving me a Bible verse, putting it right into my brain saying, look this up, this is for you. And I looked it up and I had never heard it before. I didn't know what the verse was, but I've hung on to that and throughout my life at different times, particularly difficult times or confusing times, I have found this passage to be just so poignant and so applicable. And so I want to share this with you again. First Peter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. So I, I love this passage always. But in this case, in the situation we're in right now in the world, I think this is just so, so poignant. Um, look at uh, verse 9 talking about resisting the devil, and it says, know that the same kinds of sufferings that you are experiencing right now are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, this is talking about people in the first century, but it's just as applicable to us today. And you are going through maybe some sufferings, some difficulties right now, and know that this same suffering is being experienced by a lot of other folks. It's not just you. Um, I, I find that comforting, to know that we're not the only ones. And verse 10 then, and after you have suffered a little while, so there will be some suffering, a little while, a little while of suffering. Many of us want to know, well, how long, how much, how much suffering is there going to be? Um, that's never a good question to ask, um, but especially I think now, but it says after you have suffered a little while. And again, if you've been to Liddy House for a while, you know that we don't beat around the bush or sugarcoat things. We understand the reality that life is suffering. Life is difficult. And Jesus never, never promises that once we start following him, there's not going to be suffering anymore. He actually promises us there still will be suffering, even more so because we may be persecuted for his sake. 
but rather Jesus says that even when you're suffering, even when hard times come and difficult things happen, he is there with us in the midst of that. He never leaves our side. The presence of the Holy Spirit, which God the Father put in us when we became Christians, he is with us all the time. We are always in Christ. The Spirit of God is always in us. And so even though we might be suffering, we don't do it alone and we don't do it blind, even though we might not be able to see, he can see. And so if we hold on to God's hand, as it were, um, he is going to lead us through and he is going to get us through this. But it says, after you have suffered a little while. So it's like, look, there's going to be suffering. And in our situation right now that we're in in the world, there, there's some suffering going on and there's going to be some more. And we don't know how much. But it does say, verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, reminding you who God is. He is the God, okay? The God of all grace, by the way. That's who, that's who we're serving who has called you to his eternal glory. So there's a reminder. He has called you to live with he in heaven forever with him, which is also a reminder that we're not here for that long. This is a brief period of time that we're here on earth. And some of it, yes, will be suffering. But ultimately, our eternal destiny is with him in heaven. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so a lot of us are concerned right now and... We want to know how are we going to get through this? What are we going to do um, in the future? What's the future going to look like? And the answer is we don't know what the future is going to look like. But we do know that if we humble ourselves before God, that's step one, almost always, almost always step one, humble yourselves. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And we're going to talk about that in a second. We're going to practice that in a second. We cast our anxieties, all these worries and fears that we have about what's going on right now. We give those to God because we know he cares for us. And then we stay watchful. We resist the enemy. We resist that fear. We resist uh, panic. We resist negative voices that are coming in from the outside. And we understand that although we might suffer a little after that, God promises that he will restore us. Some of us feel like we could use some restoration right now, but we're definitely going to need some restoration later, and God is going to be there to restore us, to confirm us in who we are and what we are called to do and be, to strengthen us. We could use some strengthening, some encouraging, and to establish you, which means to put you in the place where you need to be, where he needs you to be. And so your own strength and your own work isn't what restores you, confirms you, strengthens you and establishes you. Sometimes we think that way, especially in America, the whole American dream thing, you work hard, you do your best, and it'll happen for you. But as Christians, we believe that, yes, we work hard and we do our best because we do everything unto the Lord, but then where we end up, where we end up established, that's God's decision, right? We believe that. And so God's not going to let something like a plague get in the way of establishing where he wants you to be where he wants your family to be, um, about your future. And so if you feel like, oh, this is derailing my plans or my 401k now is shot and I'm not going to be able to retire when I wanted to or whatever the situation might be with you specifically, we can give those worries over to God. We can cast our anxieties on him and have faith that he is going to get us through that. And that's what this passage is about. And so the key things, humble ourselves, admit that we need God's help, just to do the things that he asks us to do here. And verse seven, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I'd like to actually do that now. Take a minute to...
practice this, and some of you have done this before here, others maybe not. This isn't some sort of a magic formula or strategy or method or anything like that. It's just, just a prayer that I personally do, the kind of prayer that I personally do, in order to do this, to actually cast our anxieties on him. Because we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers, it also says in the, in the scriptures. And so when it says cast your anxiety on him, that's not a pretty thought. It's actually like, no, do that. Actually do that. Actually cast all your anxieties, which is your worry, your stress, your fear, uh, maybe even some anger, or whatever the situation is right now. So for some of us, it's a kind of a mixed bag emotionally. And we cast that, and the, the verb there is really to hurl, to chuck it as far as you can. And we cast that on Jesus. And it, it's, it intends that we actually do that. So it's a spiritual thing and an emotional thing. Um, but let's, let's do it. Just close your eyes, pray with me, and I'm going to just walk you through how, how I do this. Um, think about some of the things that you're anxious about right now um, related to the whole virus lockdown whatever situation or just family stuff whatever it is we always have things that are knocking at the door from the outside or that are pressing in on us trying to squeeze the life out of us from the outside so I want you to think about what those things are right now just bring them to your mind And now we're going to pray and we're going to give those things to God. And what I do is I close my eyes and I picture the cross with Jesus on it in front of me. Sometimes I might picture an altar and I'm like putting an offering on the altar or something. But since this is Holy Week and uh, Jesus is going to be crucified in a few days, uh, let's, let's picture Jesus on the cross. And again, this isn't some magical thing but visualization is I think really important that's why scriptures are full of visual descriptions and examples of God and about who he is because visualizing things in our mind really helps us to focus on it and to think about it in a new way so I want you to think about Jesus on the cross and you're you're in front of him I usually picture myself on my knees because it starts out humble yourself so I picture myself on my knees before the Lord and then I take as if it were a physical thing, I pull that thing kind of out of my heart. Again, I'm very visual, so if this is too weird for you, do it your own way. But I pull that out and say, God, I'm, I'm worried about money right now. Where's it gonna come from? Is there gonna be enough? It's, it's a concern to me. I like to be in control and I'm not right now. I don't like not being in control. And we take that concern and we give it to Jesus. We throw it on the cross. We say, here, you take that concern. I am not going to worry about that anymore. I'm going to let you worry about that. And then we say, I'm also concerned about my parents or grandparents who are getting old and they're more susceptible to this virus and that concerns me. And uh, I don't like feeling so worried about them. And maybe you even start arguing with them because of differences and about the need to, to quarantine during these days and that sort of thing. Whatever the situation might be, just take that and give it to the Lord. Cast it on him. Say, Lord, I am not going to worry about this right now. I'm putting my family in your hands. I'm putting my own health in your hands. And you are my God no matter what. 
as as it says, you know, um, in Esther, if I live or if I die, that that's the Lord's to know. Like, I'm only going to do what it is he asked me to do, and everything else is his. And Lord, we've given you our lives already. Our lives are already yours. And so what happens specifically in them, that's up to you. And we want to be clear that obviously we want to stay healthy, and so we pray for that. But we're not going to worry. We're not going to dread the future. We're not going to live in angst and worry and negativity. We're going to give all those things to you. So just give those things to the Lord. Maybe there's some other things on your heart. I want you to just give those to the Lord. If it helps you to imagine pulling them out or throwing them or however it helps you. Let's just take a second and just give all of those things over to the Lord. stop now but when you're on your own I encourage you to do that and take as much time as you need to and for for many of us in our Christian life that's become a a, a daily thing it's become a ritual if you want to say that uh, really just a discipline I would say for me is I try to do this regularly and I certainly try to notice when I do feel stressed out or worried or concerned to take note of that so that I can take some time off, 10 minutes, five minutes, two minutes, whatever I have, um, and to pray, and to deal with that, and to give it to the Lord, to let that stress and stuff go, because God doesn't want us to carry those things. And for many of us who have been doing this in our Christian walk for years, we're, we're fairly, fairly good at it, because we've practiced it, and, and it's become easier to emotionally give those things up and let them go. Um, if you haven't been doing this for a long time, you may find it a little difficult initially, like you let things go, but you don't really let them go all the way. And so after a prayer like this, you might be feel 15% better, but not all the way better. Like right now, I feel all the way better <laughs> just after praying um, with you just now. But um, when I first started doing this, that, that wasn't the case. I had to do it, you know, multiple times a day. And maybe I'd give away, I don't know, 10 or 15% of it each time. And so it has sort of an incremental effect instead of an all-at-once time uh, effect. And I think that's true just due to practice. You know, the more we do something, the better, the better we get at it. And the more you get used to really emotionally letting go of things and giving them to the Lord and then saying no to the emotions that come after that. Um, what I used to do is I would cast my anxieties on Jesus and then I'd feel better, but then I'd immediately grab those things right back. And be like, but I'm still going to worry about this now. I no longer feel bad about it, so it's okay to worry about it again. Well, then the effects of the worry build up again, and it's just as bad as it was before. And so that's that's not what we want to do. But it took time, and it took practice, but and I got better at it. Um, but I have found, and I think maybe some of you have found too, that even those of us who have mastered this to one degree or another and have learned to live in peace um, during this time, because things are so crazy right now, um, I've been having more difficulty just because it's been so strange. And I wonder if maybe some of you have too. And, you know, the peace of Christ, um, the word there that Jesus uses is shalom. Shalom means more than peace in the sense of feeling at peace. It means that for sure. But it means more than that. Shalom means wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. So it means physical well-being and health. It means emotional well-being and health, spiritual well-being and health, all being at peace and um, 
relaxed, I guess could be a word, but at peace in the hands of God is what shalom means. And that's what Jesus gives to us. And I gotta say, as an aside, it's probably the best preventative medicine that exists right now is living in the shalom, the peace of Jesus Christ. If you can let go of all that toxic, cancer-causing, literally, stress, anxiety, worry, fear, and all those things, if you can live without the effects of that stuff, but instead live in the peace of Christ and the shalom of Jesus during these times, you will be much better protected than if you don't. If you allow yourself to give in to worry and fear and anxiety, what's gonna happen now? And every day checking you know, your phone all the time to see what are the numbers up to and all this kind of crazy stuff, that's not peaceful, right? And so if we can say no to those things, we can't stop them from happening. We can't pretend we're not in lockdown or there's not a killer virus out there, but we can absolutely live in peace in the midst of this anyway because that's what peace does. That's the gift of supernatural peace that Jesus gives us, is that despite all the stuff pushing in from all around us, we can still be at peace because the Spirit of God is in us. Just like Jesus was on peace at the cross. It's Palm Sunday in just a few days. Jesus is on the cross, but he's totally at peace there. He's not freaking out. He's not giving in to anger or worry or fear or any of those things. And he's the model that we have for how to act in that way. And he said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, and so we have that exact same peace, that exact same superpower that Jesus had to be at peace, complete shalom, wholeness, in the middle of the most horrendous situations. And so that's what God wants us to have. It's the best preventative medicine on earth, is to live in peace, no matter what it is that's going on. Um, and I've gotten better at that over the years, right? And I teach on it all the time. But and in a couple of weeks, I'll probably go into this more in depth, um, maybe after Easter. But I have found that in, in the last week or so, just with all the new stresses and new things that are going on that I'm not used to by habit being able to sort of ward off, um, I found myself sort of losing it a little bit here and there, you know, throughout the last week, particularly. And I'm just going to uh, confess one of my failings for the week, particularly in homeschooling the kids. So three kids, all at home now. Um, huge learning curve, tons of stuff. It's taking a lot more time than I was expecting. And uh, turns out I'm not a great grade school teacher. And so it's it's been tough. And I have um, found myself losing my patience. And I um, actually almost started scolding one of the kids for not getting a math problem right after I explained how to do it like three or four times. Um, and so I'm like losing, losing my patience and getting frustrated with the kid. It's like, this, this is how you learn math. It's not their fault, right? And, and I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, uh, this is like a total parenting fail and I don't, I don't want to be like this right now. I want to be the opposite because, you know, they're in a crazy situation as well. And I want to be providing stability and peace, not frustration and, and negativity. So we were in the middle of talking about problems, and so I couldn't escape right there, but I told my phone, hey, set an alarm for 10 minutes, and then when the alarm went off, we were in a better place that I could step away. I'm like, just, I'll be back in a few minutes. And I went off into a room by myself, and I prayed. I did what we just did. I gave my anxieties to the Lord. <sighs> Home down. <laughs> um, gave up my feeling of inadequacy as a parent for not doing a great job and blowing up at my kids or whatever. I gave up just the stress of everything that's going on, the uncertainty. Am I going to be doing this for two months now? That's a long time. What about work? Like, what do we, all that stuff. 
I just paused and I gave it over to the Lord. And I have found that I've had to do that a couple times throughout the day. Um, and I highly recommend that for you too. A few times throughout the day, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it takes to decompress, to give all that to the Lord. He really wants it. He wants us to give that stuff to him because he can, he can carry it. It's nothing to him. So let's cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And, but we have to, we have to take the step to actually do that. It's not, that's not a wishful thinking thing. It's not a, oh, God will steal our anxiety from us because he's nice. No, it says if we cast our anxiety on him, so we actually have to do it. We actually have to pray. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit will teach you um, how to get better at that if you just ask him and follow what he says. He, he loves to do that. Um, I'd like to pray now just a couple specific things uh, before we continue talking about Palm Sunday. So please join me in prayer wherever you're at and whatever time it is. Uh, Father, we ask you for protection, and healing for the sick. There's a lot of sick people right now in our country, and there's about to be a whole lot more sick people in our country, and this this causes us concern, and so we want to give that to you right now. Lord, and we ask you, the God of healing, Jehovah Rapha, the God our healer, that you would be the healing for people right now in this nation, in our families, for protection over ourselves and our loved ones, Um, against death. We rebuke a spirit of death um, from our families and this church and this country in Jesus' name. And we speak life into this place. We speak um, the life, Lord God, that you give us at Easter during this exact time of year. I pray that your resurrection life would move through us, through our families, and to others who are around us, Father God. I pray that this could be a time where you use your church like never before to reach out and heal and by that I mean yeah physical healing totally miraculous healing I also mean emotional healing helping people walk through this difficult time um, with someone else it's it's so weird right now because everybody's going through something difficult and yet being with someone else is what we need and what we can't have and so Lord I pray that you'd help us to be better at using the phone, using other means that we have um, to talk to people, to stand by people, to hold them up in Jesus' name. And we also want to pray for financial provision. I know that for many of us here at Lydia House, that's a big concern right now is for financial provision. So just as we give all the worry about that and the negative aspects of stress and everything about that, we give that to you and we cast that on you, but we still do pray for provision and that you would do it. And so we're going to leave that prayer with you and we're going to keep praying and keep asking for healing, keep asking for provision, keep asking for these things. But we don't do that because we're worried and nervous and afraid. We do that because you said, ask and keep asking. And that's how we pray. We're, we're, we persevere. We continually pray and we ask and we ask and we ask until we get it. And so we're going to keep doing that, but not with fear and not with concern or or anything like that because we're, give, we're giving those negative emotions and things to you, but we are going to keep asking for it. So we ask for a provision um, in whatever form you would want to bring. Lord, we trust you. We know that you will provide for us, provide for our families, both now and in the future. And we thank you for that. I thank you that for some of us, these are going to be days where you show us miracles, um, show us some healing, show us your financial provision. And we ask that you would continue to do that, Lord God. And I pray 
for this country that you would use this difficult time to wake people up to you, people who've fallen asleep, as it says in some of your parables. They know you, but they just, they're just not living, they're not following you. Pray that you would use this time to wake them up, that you would use this time to build a hunger and a need in people who haven't yet joined your family, that they would see that they, life is not forever here on this earth. That it is limited and it is fleeting and in America it's so easy to forget that because we're so comfortable we just have everything we're so rich and I pray that you would use this time Lord to bring people to yourself in Jesus name amen before I keep going I just want to comment on that I'm not saying that I think that this uh, pandemic is in any way caused by God or that God like God is causing it and he's going to use it to bring about a great awakening not saying that at all this virus came about because we live in a fallen world and new viruses come out pretty regularly and it's just part of the fallen creation that we live in it's just a natural thing now and it's something that we can pray against and we can take authority over absolutely um and it's something that once god recreates the earth won't happen anymore obviously but when things like this do happen the devil tries to hop in there and take advantage as we read in in peter you know he goes around seeking whom he's going to devour, steal, kill, destroy. That's that's what this virus does, and he's, he wants to use it for that. But God wants to use it um, to bring about good in people's lives. And when I say things like that, again, I'm not saying God caused it, but I'm saying that there are things that God wants to do, and he's going to use the opportunities that exist right now to bring that about in your life. And I think that includes us getting closer to the Lord and spending more time with him, whether we're driven there because of our own concern and we need to spend more time with him to get rid of all these negative things that are happening in our lives, or because we have a great need for, for healing or for finances or for something else, and that brings us to our knees, or we're just clueless and lost and we don't know what to do, and so we go seeking after the Lord. Whatever it is that draws us closer to him in these days, that's great. Grab a hold of that. That's a, that's one of the good things that God will bring about out of what's happening right now. And I think that another one for many of us is supposed to be time spent with our families, that we would use this opportunity, especially in these weeks right now where we're, many of us are locked in, um, that we can use these opportunities to spend more time with our families, spend more time talking with them, loving on them, making sure that kids feel safe and feel at peace and aren't getting too caught away, um, taken up by this kind of stuff that's going on in the world right now, which is very easy. I mean, this is really, if you think it's tough on you as an adult, it's, it's way harder on the kids, trust me. Um, my kids have been having nightmares and all this kind of stuff, and we've been really careful, okay? So don't underestimate um, the amount of time and love and extra attention that you need to give them during this time, and not just kids, but other family members too. And so I think that's another good thing that God wants to bring out of this, and there are others as well. But when I say things like that, I'm not saying God caused this. Not an, this, is, this is an evil thing that we should try to kill, for sure. Okay, so let's keep looking at Palm Sunday. And we read about this in a couple of the Gospels. I'm actually going to do a merging of Luke and John, just for, this, for the sense of the story, because they, they kind of jump around a little bit. And so I put together... A, a sheet here that I think is a little more closer to chronological. Okay, so we're going to start with Luke 19. Luke 19, and we're going to go starting with verse 28. 
and then we're going to flip to John 12, starting with 12. So Luke 19, 28, and John 12, 12. It starts off with Luke, goes from verses 19, or sorry, 28 through 38. And when he had said these things, that's true, that's Jesus. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt, tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went, and they found it just as he had told them. And when they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. So apparently the owner said, Okay. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then we're switching to John 12, verse 12. Uh, the next day, uh, there's a little bit of um, overlap here, just in the first verse or so. The next day, a large cloud that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. We read in Luke the story of how that came to be. Um, just as it is written... Here's something Luke didn't mention. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And so that's John who wrote this, his way of saying, so we didn't get that that prophecy related to this at first. That was something we realized later um, after the fact. Because at this point, they still don't really fully understand what the whole Son of God thing means and that Jesus is about to die. Even though he said it a bunch of times, they, they're like, no, 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 they're in denial. Um, verse uh, John 12, 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. We'll talk about that in a minute. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, went to meet Jesus, was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And then back to Luke 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for praising him. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, then the very stones would cry out. So, great story. A lot of us know, know this story. I think it's really fun. Um, I'm just going to run through a few things about this that I think are very pertinent actually to the situation that we find ourselves in today in America. Um, so there are two groups of people who come out to welcome Jesus. So we have the story of Jesus prophesying that there's going to be a donkey and that the guy's going to say something and here's what to say back to him. So a very specific uh, prophetic word from Jesus that the disciples found to be totally true. And there's a lot we could say about the donkey. You've probably heard um, 
sermons before about the significance of a donkey related to kingship. Um, a lot of people say it's you know, related to Mary riding the donkey because there are a lot of parallels between the birth of Jesus and the death, which this week sort of begins that. This begins Holy Week, the Passion Week. Um, and there's a lot of other things and significances there as well. John only wanted to mention the one that he thought was most significant, which was this fulfilled a specific prophecy in the Old Testament, that Jesus, the king, would come in uh, sitting on a donkey. Um, so there are two main groups that go out to meet Jesus. So Jesus is coming down off the Mount of Olives. Mount is a strong word, hill. Um, and coming into the city officially through, the, through one of the gates, and Pastor Paul is better at um, Jerusalem geography than me. He can tell you exactly which gate. Maybe the beautiful gate. I don't remember. He would know. We'll ask him during the Zoom lunch, which is right after the sermon. So two groups of people come up. And these two groups of people, according to Luke and John, are the Jesus' disciples. It, said, it says many of his disciples. And disciples, um, in, this, in this sense, doesn't mean the, the twelve. It means the wider group of Jesus' disciples. So Jesus had sort of tiers of disciples because he had a big crowd, a group of people, I should say, a group of disciples who followed him around. But they didn't all follow him all the time. It depended on where he was and what year it was. Um, you had the 12 that were always there. You had the 70 or 72 that were there most of the time. And then you have about 500. Um, it says when Jesus um, is is taken away into heaven after he is raised from the dead, um, it says there were 500 there. So he's got people who qualify as the word disciples here are far more than just the 12. So we're talking about quite a few folks. And so we would fall into this category, right? We are followers of Jesus. We're part of his disciples. So we we are one of the groups who, who are already following him. We are there. We come out to welcome him into the city. So all the disciples who are in Jerusalem are near there. Like, hey, Jesus is coming. They all come together, and they start singing and praising God, praising Jesus specifically, which is the problem for the Pharisees. And then the second group of people is people who heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And this is from John 12. Um, so it says the, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So when Jesus had raised a couple of people from the dead previously, two or three, and but it was there weren't a lot of people around. And he's like, don't 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 make a big deal about this. Let's kind of keep this on the down low. But the Lazarus situation was a big deal. It was in public. A lot of people were there. It said a crowd was there. So a bunch of people saw Lazarus come back from the grave and smelled him and he stunk at first. Um, and so this was not a secret thing. And a lot of them either lived in Jerusalem or came back and it said, and they had been bearing witness. They had been telling people that Jesus literally rose a dude from the dead. Now, a lot of people had heard about Jesus at this point already. He had been around for around three years, give or take, maybe a tiny bit more. And they had maybe heard him teach. They had maybe seen him prophesy. Um, they had definitely probably heard about his healing because he was a healer everywhere he went he healed people spiritually by casting out demons and setting them cleansing them spiritually but also physically from physical problems that they had and a lot of folks had heard about jesus um, but there had been other healers before and, and this had happened in the old testament people people would heal prophets especially had the ability to heal often the supernatural gift of healing but resurrection resurrection is new that is that is not something that they are used to. The ability to bring someone back from the dead, that is something we only find in Jesus. Only. 
in Jesus. It had never happened before. And now Jesus comes and he brings someone back from the dead. What? That's, that's a whole nother level. Um, not just a whole nother level of power, but a whole nother level of authority. Because remember, this is, this is first, first world thinking here. They're, they're controlled by the Romans at the time who have basically adopted Greek religion. And so you have like, once you die, now your soul is under the authority of the realm of the dead, Hades in Greek. Um, and so like to say that not only do I have authority on earth to, according to Jesus, forgive sins, as well as cast out demons and heal people, but I have authority in the underworld so much so that I can call someone back. This is crazy, unprecedented stuff. By the way, I'm not rubber stamping that um, Greek religious idea of what Hades is. I'm just saying that that permeated the culture in this day, and so that's how a lot of them thought, just to be clear. So that was the second group of people. You have the disciples, and you have the people who heard the testimony of those who saw Lazarus rise from the dead because the people came back to Jerusalem, and they're like, Dude, you will not believe what I saw. And I'm guessing everybody's like, whatever, that didn't happen. They heard from somebody else and they heard from somebody else. And it's like, so this is that Jesus guy. I think I saw him heal a blind man once. Is that the same guy? Wow. You know, and so they've been talking now for a while. I should actually go back and look how, how uh, long this has been time-wise. But he, it's, it was very recently that he was there um, in Bethany with Lazarus. So it's probably been, I'm going to guess, days maybe a week or so, but I could go back and look look that up for you. Um, so the rumors are going, and this is like a big deal for a lot of folks. And so that's the second group who are coming out, the group that hear that and believe it, or at least want to see it. But we, it's easy to say that they, a lot of them believed it because when, when they get there, they start praising God and saying, Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and all these things. So the disciples start that worship, but then this crowd joins in. And so I think these are people who heard and either believed or maybe partially believed or wanted to believe and weren't sure or at least wanted to see it. But the way they welcome Jesus in um, says that they, they at least want to believe. They're at least praising God for what Jesus did, if not actually praising Jesus himself. Um, and so... There's a lot of interesting things here, but I think the most interesting thing to me is that second group of folks, the crowd. So why did they come? They didn't come to see Jesus because he was a great teacher. That's how a lot of non-Christian scholarship looks at the New Testament. Is oh, Jesus was popular because he was a really wise teacher. He had some really good, clever, and sort of confusing but interesting things to say, which presumes that everybody was a scholar and all they cared about was interesting intellectual debate, which was not true. Most people were normal folks like us, okay? So they, they didn't come out because he was a wise teacher. That's not what it says. They didn't come out because he was a great prophet, okay? It wasn't a mysticism thing. They, they weren't out there um, to try to be led spiritually down some road. They didn't come out because of the teaching. It says they, they came out because he was the great healer. It wasn't the great teacher or the great prophet they came to see. It was the great healer they came to see because they had heard that he could even bring someone back from the dead. He had such authority over life itself that he could bring someone back from death. This has never happened. This is incredible. 
That's why it says in John that they came out, because they heard that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So they are coming to see Jesus the healer. That's who they came to see. That's who they came praising. That's who they came with expectation for. Maybe some of them believed, maybe they didn't. As you know, belief isn't a 100%, 0% scenario. You know, most of us at any given time believe, like let's say for healing, we might believe in God, but we believe God can heal, but really 20% of us doesn't really believe God's gonna heal us right now. Um, and so there's a spectrum there. Just like the man who prayed for, I believe it was his daughter. And Jesus says, do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can heal your daughter with you here? And he said, I believe. Then he said, help my unbelief. And I, I love that because it's the most honest thing. He believes. And he also sort of has a problem believing too. He believes in doubts at the same time. This is real life. This is all of us most of the time, right? Um, and so I think a lot of these folks are coming out and they have some belief, maybe some doubt too, but they came to see Jesus, the healer specifically. And I think this is so pertinent to the times that we live in because we need Jesus, the healer ourselves, but so does the crowd. Like the, the disciples, the church, we need Jesus, the healer right now, but so do they. So does the crowd. And they don't understand who he is. They don't understand that he's not just a good teacher like maybe they heard growing up or that he's a great prophet and like a mystical leader. And I'm not saying he's not those things, he is for sure. But what they need right now is the great healer. And I believe in the days ahead, there are gonna be more and more people who are seeking Jesus the healer. And I think that means we have a role to play in that. I think in the, in the crisis we're in right now, people are gonna come to Jesus the healer. I don't think as many of them are gonna be coming to hear about prophecies or to hear about great teaching during this time. They have a more pressing need. They have a more pressing concern. What about Jesus the healer, both for my family and my life, but what about Jesus the healer for our country? What about Jesus the healer for this world? If the world is going through a pandemic, how does Jesus the healer fit into this? They're gonna to want to know that, they're gonna to wanna to find out, and they're also gonna to want to see if they can get healed for themselves or for someone else. Um, I think we're gonna see a lot of that. And I, I talked a lot, Paul, Pastor Paul and I both talked a lot over the last few years about our belief at Lydia House that we are really on the precipice, we meaning America, but really the world, are on the precipice of another great awakening, the next great awakening. And I think this next great awakening that is starting is going to be different than the previous ones we've had in America. I think it'll be more global, and I think it'll be longer, and I think it'll be a little different. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. But we've believed for a long time, we've taught here at Lydia House that this next great awakening is coming and it's coming really, really soon. We've just felt that in our spirits. Paul and I have both heard words from the Lord, had visions, dreams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, over a period of years that this is coming, it's coming soon, it's coming soon. And now we find ourselves in the midst of a worldwide crisis that has completely disrupted the lives of everyone. And I wanna be really clear when I say, I don't think that is revival. The coronavirus is not the great awakening. Okay, God didn't cause this virus. I wanna be very clear about that. But I believe God is gonna use this virus and the response and everything that's going on right now like a match to light 
the flame of awakening throughout this country and hopefully throughout the world. He's going to use it to his own ends to glorify himself and his church. He didn't cause it, but he's going to make it his um, servant, so to speak, and use it. And I believe that's happening. I believe it's happening now. I think, I think we've we've hit a new a new phase of the beginning of this great awakening. And we're in a place where the church now is is kind of starting to come together and be like, we we really need to pray more. Man, we really we really need to pray. We really need to figure out what does God want us to do. And we need to dig into this and we need to pray. And it's ironic that it's happening at a time where we can't get together. Um, and I'm still praying about what that means specifically, but it is birthing within us a lot of desire to pray and to really dig into the Lord about this. And it, that's for the disciples, the people who came out first to see Jesus, but also it's doing it for the crowd. There's people talking about God and where is God and all this kind of stuff. And there's people, <coughs> excuse me, going back to their beliefs and how they were raised as kids and being like, wow, too bad I can't go to church right now because <laughs> I think I could use some of that. And so we need to figure out how do we bring the church to them? Because you see with Jesus, there were times, yes, when people came to him. Palm Sunday is one example. But most of the time, Jesus is going out to them. Okay? And so in a normal situation, we were able to have a, a very wonderful situation where people would come to church and we could invite them to come to church and to join what it is that we were doing. But now, we have to figure out a way to go to them. <laughs> For many of us right now, we have to figure out a way to go to them, not in person. What does that look like? Phone calls? Zoom chats, there's a lot of options, but we do need to be engaged and we need to figure it out because this is, I think, our job right now. This is our job, not only as Lydia House, but as a church, church with the big C. Um, as God is ticking into this new phase of this next great awakening, he is gonna use this need, the crisis, the concern, he's gonna use all those things to drive people towards himself. And we see this throughout history, by the way. Throughout history, there are very often times revivals associated with um, great persecution, great need, famine, drought, plague, that sort of thing. Um, so this, this would not be an unusual thing from that point of view, though I do tend to think that eventually what this Great Awakening will be will be an unusual thing and a unique thing, and that it's not going to be region-specific, country-specific, ethnosis-specific, but at the, it's really going to be, at least I believe God's heart for this is that it would be a global thing for everyone, every race, every nation. It doesn't belong to any human or any group. It belongs to God's people everywhere. Um, that's my heart. That's what I want to see happen I, because I think that's what God wants to see happen. So I think that as people begin to seek Jesus the healer, we have two jobs that we see in the passage that we read. We have two jobs. John 12, 17. The people who saw Lazarus rise from the dead went out and they bore witness in Jerusalem. Okay? So those of us who have seen the works of God, who know who he is, we need to bear witness. We need to tell other people. So this means telling them stories about how God provided for you. 
stories about how God healed you. And they don't have to be your stories. You can share some of my stories. You can share other people's stories. But um, bearing witness that God is real, he has a real impact in people's lives, he cares, cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares. He actually cares. He wants us to do that. And he wants us to tell people about it. So that's, that's the first thing that we need to do, our first job during these days, is to bear witness, to tell other people what it is God has done for us, and then to tell them, I think God wants to do that for you too. And it's okay to put God on the spot like that, by the way. That's called a step of faith. And when we make that step of faith, uh, it gives God an opportunity to act and to move in a miraculous way. If we only give God natural opportunities, then that's the opportunity he has. But if we step out in faith and say, and I think God wants to do a miracle in your life too, will you pray with me about that? That's now opening up a space for God to come in and do a miracle. And it's, believe it or not, it's much more likely a miracle will happen when you create a space for a miracle to happen versus when you do not. And I think that's why we see miracles in the two-thirds world more than we do in the West. But that's a whole other whole other sermon. Okay, the second thing we need to do, so the first one is bear witness. The second thing we need to do during this time, our job right now, is to do what the disciples of Jesus did there on the way into Jerusalem. The disciples are the one who started the worship, Luke 19, 37. So you had the two groups, the disciples and the crowd, right? So the believers are the ones who started that worship going. And then the crowd joined in, okay? But the, it was started by the church. It was started by God's people. It was started by those who follow him. So I think it's our job now. Hey, it's Palm Sunday. Let's do it now. It's our job to raise up our worship for the Lord to a new level and a new degree in our own lives, in the lives of our families, and I think in the lives of other people. I think, it, I think we need to find ways to invite people into worship experiences who aren't even Christian and to bring them in and let them experience God. Psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good taste and see, like try it out. And that's God's being, try me out and see if I'm not awesome. Because <laughs> I am. We need to give people opportunities to try out God. So maybe pray about a worship song that God uses to speak to you and maybe start sharing that song with other people. Email it to them, send it to them, whatever. I don't just mean social media posts, I mean also more intimate things with specific people that you know, even if they're not Christian. The, the disciples here on the Palm Sunday story, they started the worship. Then the crowd joined in. The crowd joined in. And so I think that is another one of our jobs, is to push our worship to a new level. And even if this wasn't Palm Sunday, I think this would be a great response anyway. And we see this throughout Scripture. One of the best ways to respond to conflict, adversity, difficulty is worship. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament, too. So we have instances where armies are coming against Israel, and they go out with the praise band instead of with the archers. And that's how they win the victory. And that happens on a couple of occasions. In the New Testament, Paul gets thrown in prison, and Roman prison means torture. It's, it's, not, a fun, it's not fun time. It's not a little ink on the finger and an unflattering photo and a cell next to a sort of creepy guy. That's what we think of prison as today. This is not that at all. Um, this is constant abuse and torture, far more like what we would have in like our supermax prisons, like permanent prisons today, except even worse than that, okay? In the midst of that horrible, horrible situation, he doesn't say, God, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm out there working for you. I'm telling people about you. This, this is the thanks I get? This is, this is my reward for doing such a great job? No, he doesn't go there. Paul does not go there. He lets all of that go 
He humbles himself. He casts his anxieties on Jesus, and he starts to worship. He starts to praise. And I don't think when he started that praise, he felt like praising God. Just a guess. I don't think he felt, ooh, I'm super joyous and happy right now. I'm going to start praising God. Let's sing a little chorus, boys. I don't think that's the way it was. I think it was, oh, wow. This is tough. God, I still believe in you. You are still God. I am still following you. But man, this, this is hard. So I give you my worry. and I give you my anxiety. Help us through this, Lord God. No matter what happens, you are God and I'm going to praise you. And I think he started praising. And he might not have wanted to. He might have really wanted not to. But I think Paul started praising. And I think the others who were with him joined in. And as they continued to praise the Lord, that helped him to give the rest of his anxieties over to Jesus. And it also did something powerful in the spirit, in the spirit realm around him. Because worship changes the atmosphere. And because worship, there's a lot of reasons, and we could do a whole sermon on worship. We will sometime. But one of the reasons is the presence of God is made more manifest, more tangible in worship. God says in the Old Testament, I inhabit the praises of my people. And so when we are praising God, there is a special kind of presence of God that is manifest in that. And that's why many of us sense the presence of God during worship times whether it's at church or at a conference or whatever, or just watching YouTube videos like I do. Um, many of us, when we are worshiping God, we feel the presence of God in a different way, a special way that a lot of us really love and enjoy. Um, that's because that's what that is. It is a special kind of presence of God. It's not any more important or less important than the presence of God in other ways, is what people get confused. So they think that throughout the rest of their daily life, God is not present with them. He's only present when they worship. And that's not true at all. You can just feel it in that certain way when you worship. He's just as present with you when you're making dinner and when you're trying to get the kids down to sleep and when you're spending time at work. The presence of God is just as much with you during those times as he is in the worship times. But there is something special that happens when we worship God. And so Paul in prison, he experienced that and miracles started to happen. I think that in these days, if we could respond instead of to fear and to worry and to anxiety and respond like they did on, on Palm Sunday with worship, I think we're going to see things change in our lives, in our families, in our situations. So those are our two jobs. Tell other people, bear witness, give testimony about who Jesus is, what he's done for you and for others that you know, and worship. Spend more time in worship yourselves with your family, your friends. Um, find creative ways in these crazy days to do that and to worship God rather than giving into fear and all the other stuff that's going on. So let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have called us to live in such a time as this. And we thank you that you already have everything planned out and you know exactly how you are going to change us and help us to become more like you. You already have it planned out how you're going to partner with us in the lives of our family and our friends, our neighbors, and people around us to help bring them to you. And I pray that you would help us in the days ahead to continue every single day to cast our anxieties onto you and to give all that emotional negativity over, even though the world keeps pressing in, that we give all the yucky stuff from that over to you every single day. And I pray that you would help us to bear witness to you and to what it is that you've done in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to praise you, to really upgrade 
our praise. And so, for Lord, for many of us, that's that's a difficult ask right now. Um, and so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us cast our anxieties on you. And I pray that you'd give us a praise, a praise upgrade, a praise and worship upgrade in our life. And that we can see that worshiping you isn't just about us. It's wonderful for us too, but it's not just about us. It does something in the spirit. It does something supernatural. Just like Paul and others experienced in prison, just like Israel experienced in the Old Testament when people were trying to kill him. Powerful supernatural things take place when we worship you, particularly when we worship you in the midst of difficult circumstances. We pray that you bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. Please uh, join us afterwards. If you're watching this live on Sunday morning, there's going to be a Zoom lunch. And the uh, link and information on how to get into that Zoom lunch is on the website, lydiahousechurchmn.org. Thanks for joining us. God bless.